Hey, everybody, welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing and all of our other podcasts over at blisterreview.com. As always, we are broadcasting this episode from the Gunnison Valley of Colorado, and I have to say, it is just wildly beautiful and green here right now. So come spend some time in these wide open spaces around here and come do some running or hiking or biking on our amazing network of trails here in Gunnison and Crested Butte. Now our guest this week is Sean Martin, who we've actually talked about before on this podcast in our conversations with Sanjay Rawal, since Sean appeared in Sanjay's film called 3100 Run and Become, and Sean is definitely somebody worth talking about. But this time around, we get to talk to the man himself, and Sean offers an important perspective on a variety of topics that I am confident we can all learn something from. And there's actually another thing about Sean that I really love, and that is while his relationship to running definitely runs deep and it is definitely a spiritual connection, Sean is also clearly very competitive. And I find it really unique and interesting that both the spirituality and the competitive nature clearly run through this guy. But rather than have me tell you about Sean, it's definitely going to be way better to let Sean himself talk about his background and heritage and coaching philosophy and a whole lot more. And so with that, we'll now have my friend and co-host, Brendan Leonard, kick things off for us. Here we go. Sean, uh, thanks so much for, for coming on Off the Couch. We're happy to have you. Well, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to uh, be here and share. You seem like one of the more qualified lifelong runners uh, that I've sort of researched for our show. Um, it's the I was just reading a story that was written about you about 10 years ago that your first memory is of running. And it was <laughs> the, the Memorial Day 5K race in Page, Arizona. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, in Navajo culture, running is a fundamental part of daily life. Um, and, and it's something that's practiced throughout your lifetime. So, um, yeah, my, one of my earliest memories is, is definitely running my very first race. And that was on my fourth birthday, which happened to be on Memorial day, 1985. And, um, getting out there and mixing it up with an old grandma who I actually ended up out kicking and, and, uh, winning. <laughs> Dropped your grandma. W w winning the day. It wasn't my grandma. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I let her have, have it. And, uh, and the youngest, youngest runner award. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you, and you grew up in page then? Um, I grew up just south of Page on the Navajo Indian Reservation. Uh, we like to say the Navajo Nation. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but I went to school in Page as it was the closest uh, public school around. So we were busting into Page for, for school, but uh, uh, I was raised on the reservation. Uh, yeah, so the, the, the reservation border is literally butted up right to the Page city limits. So I grew up 
uh, in a little place called Lechi. And uh, there's a lot of pride that comes from uh, definitely runners from the Lechi area. And uh, glad to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like if, if people have not are not familiar with the area, maybe they've seen photos of like Antelope Canyon or, or uh, uh, Lake Powell, which is yeah. very close to Lake. So if you triangulate uh, the city of Page or Lake Powell, uh, Antelope Canyon and Horseshoe Bend, uh, I live, I grew up right in the middle of that. So like pretty much right in the center, um, grew up playing in all those canyons. Horseshoe Bend was something that was just always there. It wasn't ever a tourist attraction. I remember when there was just a little single track trail on the side of the road that went to it. And uh, we would go hang out down there just to take a look. And that was that when we were kids. Much different now. Yeah, yeah. Antelope Canyon, we used to herd my uh, grandparents' livestock through and around and over Uh, all around that canyon system. So it's hilarious that millions of tourists come from all over the world now to see our old um, sheep and cow herding grounds. Yeah, and and they like never see cows in there anymore, I don't think. No, the cows are up on top, but definitely not in there anymore. We used to hang out in there just during the middle of the day when it was uh, too hot outside. Yeah, I bet. Okay. So in, in your family history, it goes... It's a really interesting story about your dad, who was basically sounds like doing stage races to run away from a boarding school, like a Bureau of Indian Affairs thing, where he would run. How old? I, I never got how old he was when he was doing it. It's a hundred miles, roughly, over three days, and he would like run three nights, and like basically running away from school and dodging authorities the entire time with probably no supplies. Is would you like to relay that story a little bit? Sure, sure. So when he was about 11 years old, so um, fifth grade-ish, he was taken from his original homestead, which was a very traditional Navajo. When I say traditional Navajo, I'm talking about a a small home, uh, a hogan, dirt floor, no running water, no electricity, where farming and livestock and trades like silversmithing were the way of life. Um. Only Navajo was spoken in the home. And so one day, uh, an army jeep rolls up to the homestead um, where they picked up my father and all of his siblings and, and took him to different boarding schools all around the Navajo reservation. And uh, when they got there, they basically kicked him out of the jeep. Uh, they made sure he went to a school that he didn't have any siblings at so there were completely unfamiliar faces there um obviously he hated the boarding school experience it's a very dark time in navajo history where the navajo people were were oppressed majorly i mean the 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 theme from the u.s government was kill the indian and save the man so my father's hair was cut off no traditionally he had long hair uh, they took off all of his clothes and made him stand in a line when he first got there. And, um, you know, the, the closer he got to the front of that line, he realized what they were doing. They were cutting off their hair and burning their clothes and giving them a, a government school boarded, boarding school issued uniform. So when he got to the front of the line, he tried to step out of the line and he was smacked on the back of the head and he was hit with a um, what's called a hot shot. It's a cattle prod that's electrified to make cows move. Um, and that was his introduction to, to school. That was his formal introduction to Western education. 
Um, anytime he spoke Navajo at the school, he was punished. Um, anytime he tried to do something traditional that he grew up with, like run in the morning or pray and things like that, uh, and especially speak the, the language, he was beaten. So, of course, he hated school and um, he to take extra food from the dining hall over the course of a couple of days and hid it inside of his pillow sack so the dorm attendant wouldn't see. And one night when the dorm attendant was asleep, he snuck out and uh, ran down into the little Colorado River wash, which was dry at the time, and uh, basically ran over 80 miles in four days, only running at night to uh, avoid the dorm assistants tracking him down during the day who, who went looking for him on horsebacks and in jeeps. And uh, he was able to avoid him and make it all the way home back to the Gap or Bottaway, Arizona, just on the eastern side yeah. of the, the Grand Canyon. What age is he when this is happening? He was uh, between 10 and 11 years old from his the first time he did it. He was there from the end of fourth grade, which, you know, back then they just said, oh, you're about 10, so we'll put you in the fourth grade. <laughs> and so uh, he was there until the end of sixth grade, and he ran away about six or seven times uh, before the boarding school said, you know, you're, you're a problem child here. You're, you're never going to be successful in the Western world. You're not trying to follow our rules. So you're no longer welcome here. So he said, fine, I don't need to be here. I don't want to be here. So they kicked him out, and he, he packed his bag, and he started walking. Well, that, that was the end of the boarding school, but uh, after that, he was put on a placement program where he was shipped off to central Utah and lived with a, f a family that um, was very different from the boarding school experience. They were a Mormon family who respected his culture, respected him. They learned the culture from him, and he learned how to uh, basically assimilate and to survive in a Western world from that family. Um, and the rest is history. But yeah, he would, uh, he, would, he would run away from the boarding school multiple times. It became a, a, a game to him and his friends, actually. They would take bets for like a week's worth of dessert with who could run away and stay away the longest, stay out in the desert the longest, and, uh, and uh, be the last one to be caught and brought back. So he has bragging rights that he uh, stayed out the longest the most times. But it's a, it's a dark period. You know, a lot of kids ran away and a lot of kids died out there because they hated boarding school so much. And they either died of exhaustion or hypothermia or a combination. So, Sean, I mean, talking about this dark time, as you are relaying this experience of your father, how foreign or, say, relatable does that experience feel like to you? Um, I, I, w I would say that through the experience of my father's words throughout my lifetime and relating that back to me, you know, when I was a, a small kid, when I was a boy, he, my father did a really good job at relating his experience and his father's experience and his grandfather's experience and how it changed over time. So as a young person, understanding what our people have gone through, um, I felt like I could relate to it. I felt like I could put my father's 
experiences and mindsets as a 12-year-old running away from boarding school uh, into my mind, my mind and in my body. And I could feel the same things uh, through my feet and through my breath that he felt when he was running away. Just because the Navajo language is so descriptive, I felt like I could I could put myself into that mindset and feel those things. Now it wouldn't be the exact same, but I felt like I I understood who he was at the age of twelve, running away from the boarding schools, and I felt like I could understand that. Um, later in life, I would come to understand it more and more as you know I, I learned more about the history of our people um, but the, the Navajo culture the Diné culture has this amazing resiliency factor um, I say resiliency factor because it's the only way I can really describe what our people are and what they're about and it's it's finding that silver lining it's finding some something to celebrate even in the darkest times it's taking a negative and finding a way to make it positive and learn to grow and adapt and to then flourish. Um, I think my father's way of doing that was running. You know, I think he felt free. Uh, he felt connected. He felt like he was one with uh, the Navajo universe and way of life and spiritual beings that we believe in when he could just get away from the boarding school and run for a little bit. Um, and so when he was able to explain that to me, I was able to connect with that. Um, and then as he explained what Navajo running is and what it means to the culture, uh, I was then able to connect with that even more. Um, so the traditional understanding of running in the Navajo or Diné philosophy is first as a celebration of life. You're going out and you're running in the morning towards the east to celebrate your life, to celebrate all the blessings that the, the Creator and the holy people we call Dien Dene uh, have blessed upon us. So first, it's a, it's a celebration. Next is, is we believe that running is a form of prayer. As we run, we, we, we breathe in Father Sky. We breathe in those good feelings that are, that are out in the morning as the first sun hits us. Uh, we, we believe that we communicate to Mother Earth through our feet. And when we breathe in Father Sky and, and, and feel the, the communication from Mother Earth, that all kind of converges into the center of our, our body or our soul, our, our individual universe. So running is a prayer. We actively pray out loud when we run in the morning. Um, Next, we believe that running is a teacher. It's a mentor. Uh, by running, the physical act of running and then connecting spiritually teaches us to overcome obstacles in life and become a better person because of it. Um, so if we can learn from running, we will be more successful, we'll be more adaptable, we'll be more res resilient and therefore a better person in this world. And then finally, running is, is medicine. It, it helps us heal both physically uh, and mentally, but also spiritually. And so for those reasons, uh, we get up and, and we run uh, more times than not. And uh, later, through my father's teachings and Navajo philosophy, I found another component, and that was the competitive side. 
I saw that by running, I can have this traditional ancient practice within me and around me, but by, by racing uh, somewhat, you know, of a, of a new practice and competing, um, I found that I bettered myself in the old practice. So uh, I, I loved competing. I still love competing. Um, and I just found a way to, to connect the, the old ways with the new. And uh, it's, it's those teachings that have made me who I am today with, with running and gaining an education and then a degree and, and then a second degree and hmm. a, a career. And I met my wife uh, as a runner. And now uh, we have two beautiful children. So I literally owe everything I have to running for my entire life. So what did, what does that look like as you're sort of growing, um, I guess as a young kid? So we have, you're running this um, Memorial Day 5K at four years old, but as you're starting to go to school, how did the, the two, do you remember when the two things sort of started coming together and you realized I'm going to run at, or there was an opportunity to run at school competitively? Was it like gym class or was it actually cross country or yeah yeah definitely uh so i have three older brothers and two of the three well, all three of them actually are were outstanding runners my oldest brother just chose not to pursue the competitive side of running so much he was more attracted to the to the basketball and definitely football and baseball he was an outstanding mm-hmm. athlete um but my next two brothers were twins and they were phenomenal runners and they were a part of a, a junior high and high school team that uh, set numerous Arizona state records and won numerous Arizona state titles. They went on to go to NCAA uh, D1 University on scholarship and became uh, All-American, D1 All-Americans. Um, one even ran in the U.S. Olympic trials for the marathon in 2000. Um, but all of it goes back to my dad and my family, my mom supporting us, um, understanding that uh, uh, life on the reservation is difficult. There's so many social ills that it's heartbreaking to even talk about. I get a lump in my throat just thinking about it. Um, you know, there's, there's not just broken homes and, and alcohol abuse and drug abuse, um, but there's lack of infrastructure and, and families who have historical traumas in them that are unspeakable, um, that, the domestic violence levels and and it's it's just life on the reservation is difficult and for me to have both my mother and my father in the same house i was a minority on the reservation i was very fortunate my parents understood that they brought in my friends and and all the kids in the neighborhood and my dad uh, was a disciplinarian discipline self-discipline is a large part of navajo culture there's a saying called with Ego. It's, it's up to you to go do it if you want it. So go out and do it. So he gave us that self-discipline. And when he realized that we could run, he connected the, the old traditional ways to this modern form of competition. And uh, he saw that our friends that naturally hovered around us um, we're, we're into it. So he collected us all up and hauled us to races all over the state, all over the Western U.S. and all over the nation. Uh, he formed a USA track and field youth team called the Northern Arizona Res Runners that ended up actually winning a, a 
USA track and field national title one year. Um, so it was through my, my mom and dad's commitment to us uh, to keep us active, even though there were all these social ills in our, on our reservation at the time. They did it to keep us busy. They did it to keep our friends involved in something healthy and traditional. And then when we went to school, we were known as the runners. So uh, we had great coaches that mentored us all the way up and through uh, high school and into the collegiate atmosphere. And um, it, was, it was a blast. You know, we'd have lunchtime races just organized by the kids on campus uh, in the public schools in Page. And then we got to middle school and we were able to join the middle school teams. And uh, that's where it really became solid for me. I knew in the sixth grade that I wanted to be an educator and I wanted to go to college on a running scholarship because of my coaches, um, Coach Lomlin, Coach, Coach Trapp, uh, Coach Murray. There's some absolutely amazing people who mentored me and my friends and, and my brothers uh, through our our junior high and high school running days who then pushed us off into the to the collegiate running uh levels yeah and you, and you went to northern arizona university um to run and that's is that division one as well right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The, um i chose nau uh because i wanted to i knew i wanted to be a teacher uh, and eventually become a, a teacher and a coach and um they had a. Uh, they still have a wonderful education program there at NAU, but uh, competitively, NAU was and still is one of the best teams mm-hmm. in the nation. Um, so I was able to run for five years under Coach Ron Mann, who set up the the dynasty that is now NAU cross country and track and field. And did you meet your wife? Was your wife running cross country there too? Actually, it's uh, it goes way beyond college. My my oh, okay. wife. Uh, we met in, in middle school, actually, like sixth grade. Hmm. Um, she ran for Chinley Middle School and Chinley High School, and, and I ran for Page. And um, you know that's pre pre cell phone, pre internet, pre uh, <laughs> social media. So uh, we'd see each other on the weekends and talk. And uh, you, there's definitely was an attraction there. But my parents would have killed me if uh, I ever made a long distance phone call. Uh, so that never happened. Um, but you know, we were we were we were we were friends. I would say through high school, and then um, I was at NAU, and she showed up two years later there, and uh, uh, ran into each other, and we've been uh, inseparable since. Hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a long distance relationship for uh, like a high school kid. That's like a three is that a three hour drive between those two towns. Yeah, man, that wasn't happening. A three-hour drive or a, a long-distance <laughs> phone call, it wasn't happening back in that, that time. Man, it would have been, yeah, having a cell phone would have been so great back then. <laughs> Good for you, making it happen. Sean, you said that you picked up two degrees. What were your degrees in? Or what I should say, what are your degrees in? So my bachelor's, uh, which I got at NAU while I was on scholarship for those yeah. five years, was... Uh, uh, exercise science and health promotions for education K-12. So it was basically to become a, a PE teacher yep. for K-12 through schools. Um, I figured, you know, what better place to pick up runners than in a PE classroom that you can scout all day <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, also train them in class all day. 
and then get them out there for a second day, uh, second practice after school. Um, so, you know, the PE degree was, was great and it definitely helped with the coaching, especially in the areas of exercise science and physiology and coaching philosophies and all those things. Um, and then I just completed a, a degree, a master's degree in educational leadership for principalship K-12. So I just finished that this December and I'm fully certified to become a high school or a K-12 administrator, hmm. which, which I am now. Got it. Yeah. Are you uh, just point of logistics or uh, are you athletic director still at Chinle High School? Correct. Right. Yes. Okay. okay. Um, so there was, so leaving, leaving NAU, there was, was there any question in your mind you were going to go uh, back to the reservation to, to work? Was there any, or were you just for sure going to do it? I, I was I was going to do it. I knew I was going to either end up in Page. My my original dream was to come back and coach at my alma mater in Page at Page High School, um, uh, and there was a position teaching position available there in the district. However, uh, my high school coach was just a stubborn old goat who wasn't ready to give it up <laughs> yet. So, uh, uh, me being the competitive person I am, you know, uh, I love the man, but. I wasn't going to be number two to, to coach Loman. <laughs> I was, uh, I was going to go start my own program and, and, and whoop them. So, um, uh, honestly though, we, we looked at, at both places. We looked at Paige and we looked at Chinley. Uh, my wife and I were, were dating for a couple of years at the time. And, uh, we knew that we wanted to continue our relationship and, and probably end up, uh, engaged fairly soon. And so we looked at the two hometowns, you know, she's from here and, and I was from Page, and we looked into the both places and, and Chin Lee just happened to have uh, teaching positions for both of us. She's an elementary teacher. Uh, we both graduated from NAU in 2004 with teaching degrees. Um, so Chin Lee Unified had both uh, positions open for us. Plus, uh, the high school cross-country head coach position was open, as well as the head track and field coach. So uh, I interviewed for all three and got all three, and she got her, <laughs> her elementary position. So, I mean, it couldn't have been more perfect. And uh, not only the, the school district here being an absolutely outstanding, supportive district, but I think the community here was excited to get their hometown girl back as a teacher. Uh, but also to get to get me uh, uh, to get a Navajo teacher and coach of, of the cross country and track programs was important to the community, and uh, I was supported immediately from the very beginning. And we built a we built a dynasty the nine years that I coached here, and it was an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thirteen state titles. Right, is that seven seven boys, six girls, or is that backwards? Uh, yeah, 13 state t team state titles in those nine years. Uh, we also had 19 individual state champions in both cross country and track. But as aside from the titles, and, and this is me being the coach that I am and, and the way that I was coached uh, and, a, and a humble Navajo person, it, it wasn't about the Navajo, it wasn't about the amount of team or, or individual state titles we were able to win. Uh, the number, the, the, the piece of data that I hang my hat on every night when I go to bed is we had 49 kids go to college on scholarships in those wow. nine, in those nine years. Um, we had, we had our JV team, our JV 
runners getting scholarships to go to junior colleges and continue their education and have it paid for by their running abilities. And that's outstanding if you consider uh, where we're at, number one, and the hardships our kids and their families face on a daily basis. That's an absolutely mind-blowing number to me that I still can't believe today. 49 in nine years went to college on running scholarship. Yeah, that the JV, that's amazing. Like, that's that's incredible. Um, yeah, and in between, so at that time, are you are you ending up going head to head with your old coach at Page High School? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the first the first two years were rough. Uh, you know, uh, building the program took about two years, and and uh, our kids here were just soldiers. You know, they just put their head down and they worked for those first two years. And we went from celebrating being 80th at the one of the biggest meets in, in Northern Arizona to uh, winning a state title in three years. And uh, there, during those first three years, uh, Coach Lomlin and the Page team got us uh, almost every time. But by year three, we, we laid the smack down and, and we took them out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it wasn't, it wasn't at, you know, at that time, and it still is here on the reservation uh, amongst the teams here. It's not so much about competing against each other. It's more about competing with each other and, and building partnerships so we can grow the sport and grow the kids uh, and grow the programs up here. And that's literally what it's turned into in the last 20 years that I've, or, you know, 15, 16 years I've been here now. You look at the state uh, championships and who has won the titles in 2A and 3A, uh, and it's almost all Northern Arizona Reservation schools. And so I attribute that again to Coach Lohman, um forcing me to partner with him when I became the head coach here at Chin Lee and making uh, our, our programs, sister programs, and growing the programs congruently, therefore developing every kid on the reservation and uh, really putting native runners at the forefront in the Southwest. Sean, so Hopi High School has won something like 20 some consecutive cross country titles as well. And that's fairly, is that the same um, division in like state titles or is it below or above? Yeah, so they're they're considered uh, like a, just a smaller, a little the, the division uh, down from three A, uh, which would be two uh, A, uh, but in the in the sport of cross country, they're considered division four, which you flip it. Then the smaller schools go up, uh, oh, okay. and we're division three. Uh, but Coach Baker on the boys' side, Coach Hunani on the on the girls' side, um, and then Coach. Baker's uh, wingman, Jawan Navayektawa, he, he's a college teammate of mine at NAU um, and a uh, high school friend. We go a friendship back to high school with, with Jawan. And so, um, again, the, 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 the partnerships between reservation schools and between tribes and between divisions or classifications is there amongst the native runners and the native programs. And so when you see success at Hopi and then you see success at Page and Tuba City and Chin Lee, um, you know, they're all interrelated because it's the same teachings. And uh, more times than not, our kids are related 
you know, they call each other brother and sister, and they are related uh, through through clanships and things like that. And so uh, it's 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 an awesome world when you're in the native running world, running for both your tribe and your school and your community. Um, but at a greater level, you're running for all of Native America, and, and they're bringing uh, pride to that. And I think they realize that even as young as the sixth and seventh grade. Wow, yeah, that's an extremely dominant, like just geographically and culturally. It's like the rest of the, I mean, it just sounds like you dominate the rest of the state of Arizona um, cross country. That's amazing. Yeah, the the uh, the preseason who's who and who's going to be the favorites is always fun, but uh, uh, I don't like those so much. I always like the... Uh, the combined results at the end of the state championships where they take all of the classifications and combine all of the times. And, uh, it, it, you know, the, the, the races are held on the same day at the same place, but in different, you know, uh, a, a step schedule. Yeah. Uh, so it's the only time that you can, you can even try to compare a 1A to a 5A uh, cross-country team. Um, but I can gladly say in 2012, that the Chinley boys cross country team was the number one team at the state championships across all divisions. And, uh, therefore I would say we were the number one team in the state, regardless of classification. And, um, if you look at that combined result year after year, you can see native schools doing almost exactly that every year. And it's, it's absolutely rewarding to see our kids get that kind of recognition, Again, given the hardships that our kids deal with on a daily basis. Sean, you maybe already answered this question, but I guess I'm curious. I'm just thinking about, you know, people listening to this conversation and maybe they are parents uh, of, you know, high school cross country runners, or maybe they are coaching or involved in some ways with a cross-country team at some other schools across the United States, I suspect they might be sitting there thinking like, what's the secret sauce here, right? Like what, and again, you, I think, address some of these things already, but if we were to talk about or hear you talk about some of the specific training elements or coaching elements, philosophy elements, what are the, some of the first things or most important things that uh, you would point to? I would, I would first say that the, the science, the magic, the secret, the secret sauce, the magic pill is not found in a workout log. It's not found in workout design. It's not found um, in the physiology of exercise science. If you're talking prep, distance running, the magic, if there's anything, is two parts. Building relationships that are true with the kids. And then the second part is love. Showing them that you care about them. It's not, not telling them, you know, you'll be there and you care. It's showing them. It's getting up for six o'clock morning runs. And when you're done, having a breakfast for them ready. Pancake Saturday runs. It's uh, a kid has an issue at home and you're helping them through those issues. A kid has a problem with their social life and they turn to you and, and you drop everything 
and help. Um, it's the, the, the examples can go on and on. One of our, one of our, our athletes here at Chinle High is 11 time state champion. She ran, um, 451 in the 1600 one night and then two hours later came back and ran 10 21 in the 3200 meters uh second fastest double in the nation that year well one night she ran her horse into a wheelbarrow uh oh sorry a barrel and cut her knee wide open we didn't think she'd have a, a track season her junior year and i was at the er with her until one in the morning watching the doctor put 17 stitches and four staples into her knee and hoping and praying that she'd be able to run again someday. She came back her senior year and won three state titles. Um, it's those things. When you show a kid you love them, through honest relationship with them and their family, they'll do anything for you. And that, mean, and that includes running, you know, 14 by 400 meters on Tuesday afternoon with one minute recovery well within the lactic threshold range and they'll learn to love being uncomfortable and they'll learn to love uh, that pain that your body goes through and they'll look forward to the hard days we call them the gut check days they look forward to them uh, they look forward to running camps and they look forward to the traditions that a team develops year after year. And they look forward to living up to the traditions that the team has created. And then when you spice in a little bit of history from the Navajo culture and, and give them something greater to run for, like our ancestors, or something greater to run for, like an education and a shot at a better life, now you have a recipe for not just building state champions, not just being the best in, in, in a, on, on a course in any given day, but you're building a future for that person that's going to be successful in whatever way they may define success. And they may even let you help them define what success is for them. Uh, I think that's, that's true coaching. That's true mentorship. And that's what uh, good human beings do is, is pay it forward in that regard. Uh, and that's basically, it sounds like a lot, but on a, on a daily basis, when you get up and do that and show them, uh, it becomes more clear and more easy. Anyone can look up a 5k training plan on runners on the runner's world website or whatever the case may be. Anyone can buy Jack Daniels running formula and create a, a 5k plan for any given kid. But, uh, it takes a true coach. It takes a true mentor. It takes a, a special person to be able to connect with a kid and, and create a, a successful person in their lifetime. Boy, I feel like my, a lot of my high school coaches could have learned a lot from the, that last uh, three or four <laughs> minutes there. Man, yeah. that's fantastic. So you, you left coaching in 2012, started, started running ultra marathons. I guess you were running them before then, but focused on that a little bit. And in not not to go through not to go through every segment of your career, but you started the the Canyon de Chez Ultra in 2012 as well, which, uh, as I read in an article somewhere, is actually a pretty interesting and inspiring uh, story of how you just thought of that. Would you want to share that? 
there's a lot of articles out there from from just personal blogs to outside magazine Arizona Highways there's a movie coming out on IMAX uh, it's in the featured film 31 uh, 3100 run and become um, so the the race itself has got a, a lot of awesome attention and I think it's great because uh, my fundamental belief in beginning the race was to share Navajo culture. And uh, what better way to do that than to have people come here and experience the culture. And the only reason I wanted to do that was, well, partly because uh, uh, cultural preservation is, is a large thing. And I think running is a large part of the culture. So to share running culture uh, and educate people on what running culture in Navajo is would then be preserving the culture. So in 2012, I stepped away from coaching our high school team here at Chinle High School. And um, because of those relationships and my love for, for the program and for the kids and the amazing success we had at the time, I felt like I needed to support the kids. And I had been running ultras competitively already. Um, so on, on one, one long run on a weekend, I don't remember if it was a Saturday or Sunday, I was, I was in the canyon for a couple hours. Uh, I was about an hour away from, from getting home. I was about three or four hours out and um, uh, about an hour away from getting back to, to the house of my long run being done for the week. Um, I was in, in Canyon de Chez and there I, w- I was hurting. I was dehydrated. I was in pain, all the fun stuff that go- goes along with a 30 mile long run. And um you know, uh, this, this really light, soft rain started coming down. And in Navajo, we believe that there's male and female everything. Uh, there's, there's male wind, the hard, fast wind uh, that usually comes in the, in the spring. And there's soft, gentle wind, that, that soft breeze that just kind of cools you off. Uh, we believe that there's male and female rain, the hard rain that comes down in big, aggressive drops and then there's female rain that soft real misty type of rain that just kind of comes down gently uh and that's that that female rain is what started to fall as i was about an hour away from from home and uh it it, it rejuvenated me it brought me back from from that hurt locker that i was in the end of that four to five hour run and um as I started feeling better, I came around a turn in the canyon and there was a herd of wild horses in there. Um, and it, uh, it, was, it was early summer uh, and I spooked the horses and they took off running down, down the wash. And uh, wild horses, when they run, they, they put the, the colts at the center of the herd and they put the, the mares up front and they put the stallions between the colts and whatever the threat may be. And so over the course of a mile, mile and a half, the one colt in the center of the herd started to get tired. And about a mile later, two miles later, uh, I started gaining on the herd. And uh, the farther we ran, the closer I got to the herd. Within the canyon walls, there's no way the horses could, could escape me. So they were stuck between the sheer cliffs and in front of me. And so uh, I caught the herd and and it was just this magical uh, runner's high of emotions and connections with 
all things natural, all things traditional and Navajo philosophy, and these wild horses of the canyon. Uh, and the herd from the back opened up to expose this vulnerable foal that was just born that spring, maybe a month and a half earlier, who was just learning to run. Um, and the, the herd accepted me into, into the group, and I ran shoulder to shoulder for about a half mile to a mile. I don't even know how, how long it was. It, it was like time stopped, and it was just this magical moment I shared with not only the horses, but the rain and the canyon and, and our culture. And um, I got towards the mouth of the canyon, and, and it was like there was this imaginary line uh, that the horses reached at the mouth of the canyon, or no, the end of the canyon, that they had, and they weren't going to cross that line. It was a very real line to the horses because they were shoulder to shoulder, hoof to hoof, face to face, looking at me as I exited the canyon. And uh, I realized that, you know, I looked back and realized that these guys were, were we were one running together. Uh, and I look back and I thank the horses for, for that magical moment. And for that whole time, I forgot about all the pain that I was in, both my, my physical pain of running, my mental anguish of this is too far, this is too hot, I'm dehydrated. And um, they re- revi- revitalized my spirit. And I, and I thank them for that. And uh, from the mouth of the canyon back to my doorstep is about a mile um, and that's right where the, the start of the Canyon de Shea Ultra begins is where those horses were. And so from the mile where I left the horses back home, you know, I was thinking, gosh, I, I, feel, I feel so grateful for that experience, but I also feel very selfish. And I think as distance runners and especially ultra marathoners, we feel very selfish sometimes because we don't get to experience many of our experiences with our loved ones. And now when I say loved ones, I, I, I also met my former athletes that I was coaching at the high school. So I thought to myself, what better way to be selfless uh, and show my humility to my people than to create a race, to share these experiences, invite people from all over the world, combine educating Navajo culture to these people, then use their race and its profits to support local Navajo runners. Um, and there, there was then the birth of the Canyon de Shea Ultra. I looked on Facebook who would come out and support something like this, and it was just, it, it blew up. Um, so I contacted the National Park Service. I contacted the Navajo Nation Parks and Recreation Office. Both were on board. And over the next year, it took a year to just get to the point where we could announce that we were going to host a race. Um, We had to do a lot of archaeological research in the canyon with the archaeologists and secure, secure the permitting process for something that's never been done before. So what makes the Canyon de Shea Ultra... Uh, different and unique is that it's a living canyon. It's a living national monument, meaning it's, it's one of very, very few monuments worldwide where the natural indigenous inhabitants still inhabitate the monument or the national park. Um, it also 
does not allow anyone in there without a Navajo guide in jeeps or on horseback uh, or on guided hikes. Obviously, you can't just go in there and run by yourself. Um, and also the archaeological significance, the historical significance, the uh, traditional Navajo and Puebloan significance is mind-blowing. Runners literally pass by and over thousands of archaeological sites that connect Navajo people and ancient Puebloans to that canyon uh, for thousands of years. Um, and then to make it a little bit more exclusive, because of the, the preservation efforts, um, we limited the total number of races uh, runners entrance to 150 so only 150 people get to do this uh, annually and their bib serves as their permit to go run in there with 150 of their soon-to-be closest family members um, it's the only time a person can enter the canyon without a guide within five feet of them um, so it's super exclusive um, the first year it sold out in like two or three days. The second year it sold out in a day. The third year it sold out in an hour and a half. The fourth year it sold out in minutes. And the fifth year we had to go to a lottery because we shut down Ultra Sign Up server multiple times uh, over the course of a couple days. And um, we've been observing a lottery ever since. Um, beyond that technical stuff, um, I keep it very grassroots. The race is bounded in Navajo culture and Navajo traditions. Instead of a, a medal or a grab bag at runner entry uh, at the bid pickup, um, runners got to finish the race. And to do that, if they do that, they earn a full turquoise necklace, um, which, I mean, most race directors would shy away from that because of the cost. But it's, it's a, a token of our respect for people coming out here and running on our land, experiencing our culture, and running to, to celebrate and to pray and to learn and to heal. Um, so we give them a turquoise necklace for the first finish of the Canyon de Chez Ultra. And then in the second year, they earn white shell, um, which is a very significant material, and then black jet for the third year and then so on and so forth. And now we're in our seventh year and every finisher's necklace is of very significant materials and it's all handmade by our local native artists. Um, and sometimes even our local runners lend a hand and help out with making the awards. Um, all of the age group and overall awards are all handmade. Um, Navajo rugs are, are and Navajo pottery are prized worldwide for its artistry. Um, so if you went online and searched for a four-foot-wide Navajo rug, you, you, you'd be blown away by the cost people would pay. But um, those are some of the awards that we give, and people are just blown away by the traditional meanings and value of those items, not to mention the monetary. That, that, that has no significance here. The money doesn't mean anything. The cost of the awards... Uh, we focus more on the traditional values and the, as a token of our appreciation, we give those awards. 
And then to top it all off, all of the leftover go towards directly towards helping our local runners. And that could be elementary kids, middle school, high school, um, college uh, runners, and, and even adults. We, we helped uh, individuals get to the Boston Marathon. Um, we've helped with kids pay for college tuition and books. We've helped kids get to uh, races all over the world. Um, it's just it's phenomenal to see the benefits that go back to the native people here. And uh, it's absolutely humbling to, to be at the helm of the effort. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of the most. I think I first heard about it maybe in 2015 from my friend Forrest Woodward, and I thought, oh, that'd be cool sometime. And I think that would have been the time to try to register um, because it would have been easier. <laughs> uh, miss miss the boat on that one. I have to just sign up for the lottery. But yeah, we had a thousand, just over a thousand entries to the lottery this year for those 150 wow. spots. So. It's uh, it's pretty intense when you're when you're filling about eighty to one hundred and twenty emails a day, not to mention the Facebook messages and all of those things. I I tend to to turn them off and then hit them on the weekends as hard as I can. Wow, yeah, I think it'd be not that you need to help sell it anymore, but just for the opportunity to walk in the bottom of the canyon and just to run at the bottom of the canyon is like such a cool opportunity, you know to go that far and back because otherwise you just most visitors I believe are just going to the viewpoints along the top and then yeah occasionally with a guide right yeah and even then the guides are are the most common uh trip is is about five five and a half miles in to basically to our first aid station (laughs) okay oh man yeah I've kicked around the idea of starting a sister race maybe on the opposite end of the calendar uh, from the October race and doing it in the, um, in the, there, so in Canyon de Shea, there's two branches of the Canyon. There's Canyon de Shea and Canyon del Murto. So I thought it'd be cool to do a sister race on the Canyon del Murto side. Um, and I also kicked around the idea of maybe doing like a exclusive running camp where I take a group of say eight to 10 runners, uh, for a, a long weekend, maybe four days and uh, run some super exclusive trail in the canyon that no one ever gets to see, uh, while also communicating the historical and cultural significance. Um, again, ideas, but you know, as a as a high school administrator in the world of education right now, um, I barely have time to come home and get a run in myself before <laughs> before seeing my own wife and kids these days. Yeah, and you have. You have a son and a daughter, is that right? Yeah, I've got a, a, an 11-year-old son. His name's Maverick. His middle name is Dole, which is the Navajo word for bluebird, uh, Martin. And then my daughter is nine, and, and her name is Isabel. Her middle name is Nitiyili, which is the Navajo word for sunflower or wildflower. Um, wildflower, because uh, anywhere you look in the world, any, any climate, there are wildflowers. So we pray to the wildflowers for their, their um, hardiness, their, their toughness. Um, and we pray to the bluebirds because uh, although they be small and pretty, beautiful, uh, they are fierce. They'll protect their family and their territory uh, very fiercely. So those attributes are what we named our kids after. Yeah, are the kids, uh, are they into running are they that's just sort of something dad does that's really 
goes out for four or five hours on the weekends or is it is this something you share with them yeah so again there's two there's two different worlds of running and they live uh in both worlds very very well there's a there's a there's a very thin veil or curtain between um the traditional style of running and and running and training to race for for mm-hmm. my kids for our kids um and they uh they live in in those two worlds very comfortably uh, so they get up and they run uh, for the traditional reasons, and uh, they definitely enjoy racing. So um, I don't I don't push them to to do it. I don't make them. I don't you know make them do these long crazy runs or workouts. They they choose to do it, um, but they choose to do it because literally they were they were raised on the track and they were raised with a, a goes and does these crazy long runs and big long races and trips all over the world and uh, a mother who who also runs she's on the treadmill right now by the way because it's crazy <laughs> windy and dusty outside yeah. um <laughs> and uh uh they they love it you know my my son's one of his favorite items is his uh um hydration pack he doesn't go anywhere without it oh yeah that's a great uh that's a great accessory slash security blanket sort of thing, right? To be I didn't I didn't have one of those as a kid. No that would have come in real handy. Man, I had a I had a Gatorade glass bottle that I took when we went <laughs> and oh, herded wow. herded cows and sheep for twelve hours a day in the summer and I had one Gatorade bottle that was filled with dirty water. Hmm. I'm just now. I'm having a moment of remembering the glass Gatorade bottles. Like, <laughs> yeah, wow, right? Yeah, so we, back. for 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 food, we had a pack of uh, ramen noodles, dried ramen noodles that we just ate like a crispy burger. <laughs> it's just a, the original Cliff Bar for, for yeah, 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 yeah. And electrolytes, man. You take the little packet out and sprinkle it on on the patty and just crunch away on it. Oh yeah. Oh man, um, we could briefly just talk about your, uh, your your trail running and ultra running career because you do. I was I was curious if you'd ever entered your own race because I looked through the results to see if you'd ever won it because you could. <laughs> like, it's, a, it's not like you're slow. You could definitely have won it. But uh, yeah, do you have? Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Uh, sure. Yeah. So I'll start with entering my own race. I fundamentally will not enter my own race because, <laughs> uh, for two reasons, I, I want to give everyone else the chance to connect with the place. Um, and if I run, that means I take a bib from somebody who should be running it other than me. Cause I get to run it every day. Um, so that's the first reason. Second reason is, you know, a little bit more on the competitive side, I would get too competitive and I would try to beat everyone I possibly could and I, I don't want to do that um now leading to the competitive side i have broke four hours on the course and the course record is 417 i think 410 sorry 410 but uh i i did it i did it on a on a perfect afternoon after a, a monsoon storm so the sand wasn't as much of a factor but i did it unsupported with just a hydration pack but uh um so if somebody breaks that record my personal FKT, then uh, maybe I'll have to go back out there and give it a <laughs> shot. But yeah. uh, um, you know, my own my own running career. You know, I, I ended my collegiate career uh, not the the way I would have liked. I had a pretty serious iliotibial band strain, and I didn't even really get a run my whole last season of cross country, which obviously should have been my best. 
and 2004 was an Olympic year, and you know, there's all those things. But um, I came to Chin Lee and started coaching. Uh, barely even able to walk because the iliotibial band tears were so bad. And uh, I literally attribute my, or attribute my, my healing both physically and mentally and spiritually to the kids that I got to coach because it was as we built the kids' ability to run, um, they brought me back. So literally running three miles with the kids was difficult and it was difficult for them. Um, but as they built, I also was built and, and uh, gained strength in, in the iliotibial band. And um, I just continued to progress to, to two and three hour long runs on the weekend. And, and at that point, I hadn't even really done a half marathon. You know, I'd, I'd done long runs in college, but I, you know, only ran up to the 10K. And the most pounding thing was a, a steeplechase, which why I had the iliotibial band strain. So um, the kids healed me by running with them. And um, I, I, I jumped into the rock and roll half marathon down in, uh, yeah, rock and roll half marathon down in Phoenix. And I freaking hated it, man, running down the city streets with a loud band every <laughs> mile. You know, and, uh, you know, I, I got to go back. Coming to Chin Lee to the middle of the Navajo Nation and being healed by the runners also gave me an, a, the ability to go back and relearn the traditional ways to run. Because in college, it's all about the Western ideas of competition and beating people and trying to maintain your scholarship. Um, completely foreign to Navajo philosophies of running. So uh, I was able to, to do that, reconnect with the traditional values of running. So when I got in the rock and roll half, I hated it, man, running down the street in a pair of road flats that uh, disconnected me from the earth and the sky and all living things. I hated it. So I was content just training with the kids through the weekdays and doing long runs on the weekends. And I built myself up to three and four hour long runs. And then uh, my brother, Theo, who was in the 2000 Olympic trials for the marathon, uh, he still has the fastest uh, marathon by any Native American at 2.15.07 or something like that. Um, he was like, dude, you need to do an ultra marathon. Uh, you're already running three, four hour long trail runs. So, you know, this is, these are races that are, you know, three, four hour long runs. So let's, let's do one. And I thought, hell yeah, let's do it, man. You're the marathon expert. And so uh, we entered the uh, Red Mountain 50K, uh, just outside of St. George, Utah. And uh, the day before I went to pick him up on my way there, he uh, said that he had a, a weird feeling in his knee, uh, patellar tendon. So he wasn't going to go to the race because he knew if he went, he'd want to run and he'd probably end up injured. Um, so I went alone, not knowing what the heck I was doing. Didn't have a, a water bottle or a race pack or, you know, I didn't even have a GPS watch or didn't even have trail shoes at the time, man. I had A6 Kayano, <laughs> like, it was like a 20, they're like a 19 or a 20. What are they on now? Like 27s or 30s or something like that? <laughs> uh, I got in that race and I literally started with no headlamp or anything, um, and uh, all these trail guys, you know, a mile into the race, they were uh, all their all their GPS watches beeped at the same time, and they all looked at it. And I just thought, 
what the hell are these guys doing, man? They're like totally disconnected. They're into their watch more they're, than they're into this beautiful place. And then they started talking about how they were training and how they were working on their climbing and how they were working on their heat running and all this hydration and nutrition and yada, yada, yada. And, and about three miles in, I just got fed up with it. They were already going slower than I thought we should be going at the front. So I took off at the first climb and the first switch back, I heard him talking smack saying, who is that guy? Uh, don't worry about it. He doesn't even have a headlamp. Don't worry. He, do, he doesn't have a water bottle. Don't worry. He'll come back at mile 20. And that just fueled the fire. You know, I got to the first aid station at mile 10 and uh, the, the aid station wasn't even set up yet. And uh, so I blast, blasted through there and got to the second aid station at mile 20 and it wasn't set up yet. So I hadn't had anything for 20 miles and I was running about 640 pace uh, with some decent climbing and some decent um, technical terrain. I got to mile 25, so six to go. Finally, there was a guy there with uh, uh, the aid station supplies, but he wasn't set up yet. So I just grabbed a water cooler and poured it into my mouth for as long as I could before I lost my breath and just kept running. So, uh, I finished in like 321. It was my first, first race, uh, ultra race. It was awesome experience. Um, I crossed the line, cramped up immediately. Uh, I probably lost a good 10 to 12 pounds. Uh, (laughs) my, my then eight month pregnant wife was at the finish line. Uh, or was just chilling in the park because the finish line wasn't set up and the race director wasn't even there. Um, so, uh, I just had to record the time of day that I finished and that was my official time. Um, and so, uh, she threw me a water bottle and a Gatorade bottle and I chugged both and cramped for about 30 minutes before the race director came over and gave me a trophy and offered some barbecue, which I wasn't going to (laughs) have. And then, uh, as I was laying there with a fully inflated stomach full of Gatorade and, and water, I ended up puking all over myself because I couldn't move. I was cramped so bad. Um, and then my, my wife drove me back to uh, Page, where my track team was at the track meet in Page, and I coached for the next 12 hours and oh. rode the, and, and rode, <laughs> yeah, and, and rode the bus home to Chinle and got home at 1.30 in the morning. Um, uh, you know, body was just in its natural cycle. So I got up about 7.30 and I could barely stand up out of bed and thought, this is the stupidest thing I ever did. I can barely stand up. My brother's an idiot. Uh, I'm, I'm never doing one of these again. And uh, I thought it was the worst experience of my life. But uh, after about four or five days when the soreness wore off, I woke up thinking that was freaking awesome. I uh, I immediately got online. I went to irunfar.com and and started looking for races. And I found a I found a 50 miler, which I thought sweet. There's 50 mile races out there. Then I just started looking for the longest thing I could find. I found a 100k. Then I found a 100 miler. And then I just started thinking, what is the longest thing I can find? And I found a 148-mile stage race, the Desert Rats um, stage race. And that starts in uh, Grand, Grand Junction, Colorado, and finishes in 
Moab, Utah. It runs the Cocopelli Trail and uh, goes over the LaSalle, LaSalle Mountain Range. And I thought, hell, you know, why not go from 50K to 150 uh, in one shot? So I signed up and um, with that entry, I got a free entry into their 50 miler at their trail festival in Fruta. So I figured I'd do that as a training run and and uh, learned a little bit there. They actually had aid stations, so that was nice. <laughs> um, and then I got in that to that stage race and uh, covered that 148 miles in 21 hours and 27 minutes and set a new course record by about four hours. So um, I was in Trail Runner Magazine right after that and just fell in love with the ability to connect traditional Navajo beliefs in running on Mother Nature, on Mother Earth, and, and, and with Father Sky and, and observing those traditional values while also being able to compete and just lay it down and go into the hurt locker and, and feel uh, the pain of competition and uh, absolutely fell in love with it. So from there, uh, just kind of did some, some more races. I think the highlight would be, I think, 2012. I ran uh, six hours and seven minutes at the North Face uh, endurance championships at the, for the 50 miler and, uh, was able to mix it up with, the at the time it was considered the, the greatest assimilation of, uh, uh, the 50 mile pro guys in the world at the time. So, um, the course record was six hours and 21 minutes and, uh, we shattered that and I ran 607. I think I was, uh, 10th place, uh, on a horrible, muddy, rainy day, but it was awesome. Um, so yeah, that's some of the highlights and, uh, how I got into it. Uh, but as far as running my own race here at Canyon de Chez, um, I'll leave that to, to the people who want to come and experience our culture in our Canyon. Yeah. Hey, Sean, thanks so much for doing this. This has been amazing to listen to you describe just everything from just this lifelong, uh, career and, and staying with it and all the different ways it, it, uh, goes in and out of your life it's amazing so thanks so much for your time oh my my pleasure and uh you know thanks for thinking of me and thinking about our culture and uh allowing me to be uh the voice to just try to explain what what running here is about and hopefully um give a little bit of motivation to people to get off the couch (laughs) here here sean thank you yeah this has been a pleasure and uh just uh i'm just gonna say uh we'll look forward to the next time we get to uh we get to talk for sure man and if you're ever in the area the canyon's waiting let's get some running in oh would love it yeah would love it so well hey thanks so much and uh you know best of luck with everything and uh we'll talk to you soon that's it for this edition of off the couch thanks to sean and brendan for the conversation thanks to jared farley for producing this episode And thanks to you for listening. From all of us here in Crested Butte, Colorado, we hope that you are doing well. And until next time, please be safe. Please take good care of yourself and everybody else. Please keep moving forward. And we will talk to you again next week.